Two years ago, in the middle of my time away on sabbatical, I packed up my car for the drive up north on Interstate 95 to Monk's Corner to Mepkin Abbey. As I know many of you remember and might be tired of hearing me talk about, I was going up to Mepkin to spend a month in their monastic institute program for what was to be the focal point of my blessed three months away from All Saints for rest, for rejuvenation, and for spiritual recharging. I remember that week getting everything together in my car and getting on the road the morning I needed to leave with just enough time set up to stop on my way into the monastery for a few items that I had not been able to pick up before I left. I needed to grab an extra tube toothpaste. I needed some soap and I needed some shampoo at a CVS or Walgreens to last me for a month. I knew that if I got on the road by 9 a.m., That morning, I would have the extra time I needed to stop and still be able to arrive in at Mepkin for the 5 p.m. opening welcome session with the monks. That could be Mepkin Abbey calling me right now. Of course, as can often happen on any trip along I-95, I found myself about three hours into my drive suddenly stuck in a traffic jam. There had been an accident on the northbound side of the interstate across the South Carolina state line, and all but one lane was blocked, causing that terrible slow crawl of traffic. By the time I was able to get to an exit and off the highway from my GPS reroute up the back roads and around the accident, I could already see that I was losing all the extra time I'd hoped to have that afternoon. When I finally got into the town of Monk's Corner, which is just a few miles outside of Mepkin, I had, ma- I had to make the hard decision to either stop for toothpaste and be late for the welcome session or to skip the toothpaste altogether, be on time, and just pray that the monks had some secret stash hidden somewhere on the monastic grounds. I decided to go with the second option, And so I pulled into the retreat center at Mepkin just in time for the opening session. After I got in and introduced myself, though, I couldn't help but continue to worry, perhaps a little too much, about that toothpaste. It suddenly dawned on me after I saw my schedule that the final prayers for that first evening were at 7 p.m. That meant that when I was done praying, I could easily jump back in my car drive the couple of miles back into town, grab the toothpaste, and make it back to the monastery before anyone knew I was away. So, as soon as the night prayers were finished, that's exactly what I did. I got into my car, and I started creeping slowly out the gravel driveway towards the road that leads into Monk's Corner. And that is when I saw it. There, blocking my one and only exit from the monastery grounds, was a long gate that had been closed and locked up for the night. I realized right then and there that I would be staying in my monastic cell incarcerated with no way to escape. As I sat there in the car looking at the gate, I won't lie, after the long drive I'd had and the slow crawl through the traffic, I was a little put off. I mean, all I wanted was that tube of toothpaste. And then as I sat and stewed for a little longer, 
I got more agitated. What if there was a huge forest fire that suddenly erupted and blew out of the Cooper River somehow and threatened to burn the entire campus to the ground? How could we escape? Or God forbid, what if there was some sudden invasion of an alien life force that came from outer space? How could we ever get out if there was an emergency? Did they really have to lock the whole place up for the night? I mean, I am an American citizen, for goodness sakes. Don't I have rights at free travel? Where was my freedom with this locked gate in front of me? Well, I think my temper tantrum lasted for two, maybe five minutes. I took a deep breath, turned my car around, and then I drove back to the retreat center. And when I finally took my suitcase and rolled it into my room and walked into my bathroom, there in front of me on the sink was a small travel-sized tube of toothpaste waiting, along with the travel-sized bottle of shampoo and a small bar of soap. And the next morning, Father Kevin, the novice master at Mepkin, took me straight to a closet that wasn't hidden away. It was right by the nurse's station. And there was indeed a stash of just about everything a guy could possibly need, including toothpaste, freely available for the taking for everyone in the community. <clears throat> that experience would become my introduction to two of the most important rules of Christian monasticism throughout history. The rule of the community and the obedience required in keeping and following those rules. Monastic religious rules are often set many centuries earlier by their founders or by the first communities of each monastery and convent, and they're established for the good of everyone. And if you are part of that religious community, you must take a vow to follow them faithfully and obediently. From the outside, this may at times seem to run counter to an individual's personal freedom, i.e. a closed locked gate in front of your exit from an abbey. But what you quickly must discover is that it has never been all about your personal freedom in the first place. If you are to live in a community with other Christians, with Christ at the center of everything that you do and everything you are about, then the rules of the community are in place to ensure that everyone equally has the opportunity to accomplish their goals. And there only really one goal and one goal alone for everyone taking vows as a religious monk. To reach and experience fully the truest freedom that comes to us from a deep relationship with God and with one another in Christian prayer and service. And this is there requiring great obedience. And really, I think most of this is at the very heart of democratic free society in one degree or another. We have rules and laws that are set in place to ensure that everyone can reach their goals of life, liberty and pursuit of happiness. Not just you alone, but everyone equally gathered together. There's, of course, certain parts of national and local law that we can find disagreement with. But even if we disagree, we still must obey the laws and ordinances until they are appropriately and legally changed in order to keep our states, communities, and counties safe and just for everyone. That at least is what I think I remember being taught in my high school civics class. And after I spent a month with a bunch of Trappist monks reading, discussing, and meditating on the rule of monastic life written by 
the great St. Benedict of Nursia over 1,500 years ago. I discovered that that's what dear old St. Benedict wanted to put in place as well for that first gathering of a Christian religious community. If the rules are in place for the good of everyone and for the health and betterment of your brothers and sisters, giving up a bit of your own wants and needs for your neighbor is not just a suggestion or a recommendation. It is what you make a lifelong vow to fulfill and to live out with joy, humility, and obedience. This is the heart of Christian religious life. And this isn't just for monks and nuns and priests who get the benefit of being on sabbatical. It is really for each and every one of us within God's kingdom. The very first thing that God does for his chosen people in the Hebrew scripture is to establish and set up covenant rules, which include the promise that God will follow for us as well as the equally important promises we must follow to build our relationship with God and with our neighbor. God makes the covenant first in the book of Genesis with Adam and Eve, and then in that same book with Noah and with Abraham, and most importantly in the Old Testament, when we arrive at the book of Exodus, God makes a covenant with the ancient Israelites who are following Moses out of slavery in Egypt through the wilderness to reach their promised land. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, God says through Moses to the Israelites, So now Israel, give heed to the statutes and the ordinance that I am teaching you to observe so that you may live to enter and occupy the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. These statutes and ordinances, this covenant God has made, God requires his people there to know and to observe and to follow obediently. They begin in the Torah with those great Ten Commandments, which remain today as the foundation of both Jewish and Christian moral law, and continue through the books of Exodus, Numbers, and Leviticus. God sets them up in the Old Testament as that first important pathway to begin leading creation back to that wonderful garden and back to the fullness of relationship God intended in the beginning when he looked at creation and said that it was good. So then, if we are to be obedient followers of God's rules and laws, then maybe you're wondering why we have a gospel assigned this morning that seems to show Jesus himself set against laws that are expounded by the Jewish Pharisaic leaders. In Mark this morning, we find Jesus and his disciples being watched closely by the Pharisees, who, as the strict religious overseers of the law, are watching everything that Jesus and his community is doing. The disciples, they noticed this morning, are eating, and apparently they have not taken the time to ritually wash their hands thoroughly first, as Jewish law and custom requires. Now, if the Pharisees were just concerned with this endangering people's physical health, this could be a very different story altogether. But as Jesus knows, these Pharisees care little about personal hygiene. Rather, the Pharisees are instead concerned because the disciples are breaking the specifics laid out and interpreted from that ancient Jewish law. Hands must be washed. Cups, pots, and kettles must be dipped in water. Unclean animals and foreign people are not to be touched. And this should be known and carried out by everyone who identifies themselves as Hebrew people. Because Jesus' followers aren't following this, 
the Pharisees are quick to ask Jesus, who himself calls himself a rabbi, why he is allowing his followers to break these holy ordinances. But Jesus is quick to realize that true rules and true laws of Holy Scripture aren't what is upsetting the Pharisees. Rather than rules and laws of God giving purpose and definition to morality and faith, compelling us to be compassionate and caring of each other first, the Pharisees are stuck with whether or not disciples are keeping up with the right way they should look as Hebrew people. Right Jews need to show their cleanliness to fit the look and shape of kosher law. And when that is the focus, Jesus sees the deeper meaning falling away. To this, Jesus has a quick and powerful response. You hypocrites, you abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile. The things that come out are what defile. For it is from within, from the human heart, that even evil intentions come. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Brothers and sisters, I believe it is this for you and me today that remains one of the most important parts of rules and laws that can define us as people of Christian faith. It isn't the hand gestures we make. It isn't the hymns that we love and prefer. It isn't the clothing that we wear on a Sunday morning. It is how our faith and all that it defines for our lives and shapes in our actions in the world that are far more important points of understanding and reaching the true freedom that comes from God. God's laws and covenant is first and foremost about making us more caring and compassionate for our fellow brothers and sisters. It's a law that requires us to give up our own personal wants and needs and focus on what is better for the other, just as Jesus did. We trust God and God provides for us and we in turn do what we can not to help ourselves, but first to do something that might be able to help someone else. And let us remember, Jesus takes those Ten Commandments and all the 630-something laws and ordinances in the Jewish Torah, from washing hands and kettles and pots to making animal sacrifices. And thanks be to God, Jesus breaks them down in the New Testament to just two essential rules for us to follow. We are to love God first, and we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And this, brothers and sisters, is where our true obedience is called to be above all else as disciples of Jesus Christ. This might mean if you need to stay in the community for the good and safety of everyone, then you keep the gates locked for the night and you trust God to help you find your toothpaste. It might also mean that as frustrating as it is to have to wear a face mask right now in this strange and frightening time, if it can keep someone else from catching a virus and getting sick, possibly very sick, and you can wear one, then maybe you should put the needs of others above your own frustrations and inconveniences first. This is good practice for us as a Christian community. If you ever wonder about what you should do when you're faced with one of those hard choices, just take a moment and go back one more time to the great laws Jesus himself sets before us and ask yourself, am I loving God? And am I loving my neighbor as myself? 
Then take that and follow St. James this morning and be doers of the word and not just hearers. Be obedient to God. Be compassionate to others and you can find out how true freedom, perfect liberty through God and Jesus Christ can not only change the world, but can change each of us as it transfers not what is outside of us, but that which is within our hearts. Amen.